You're listening to The Influencer Podcast, episode number 36. Welcome to The Influencer Podcast. Each week, Julie Solomon, a marketing strategist and New York Times bestselling publicist, takes you behind the scenes with successful influencers, bloggers, and industry elites in conversation to share how they engage, persuade, and grow their unique influence. Her mission is to share exclusive insider tips, wisdom, and action-based tools to help you strengthen, monetize, and build your own industry-leading influence. This show is brought to you by our free tip sheet, Attract Your Ideal Audience, a completely free tip sheet that will help you cut through the clutter, get crystal clear on who you're talking to, and help you start attracting and growing your audience today. You can grab your free tip sheet at juliesolomon.net forward slash newsletter. Well, before we dive on in, I want to give my warm appreciation to our reviewer of the week, and that is Miss Sarah M. Tierney, and she says, I came upon this podcast by accident a few weeks ago, and it became my favorite within a couple of episodes. The only downside is that I've binge listened to all of them and now have to wait for the new ones. There is so much information for bloggers and influencers. The guests are incredibly knowledgeable and Julie has a great personality and makes a great interviewer. Thank you, Julie. Your podcast is truly valuable to us listeners. Well, thank you so much for your review, Sarah, and I'm honored to have you as part of our influencer podcast community now. So welcome. So of course, guys, I want to hear from more of you. Please, if you listen in each week, let me know. Make sure to subscribe to the Influencer Podcast on iTunes and give us a review so I can highlight one of your reviews in an upcoming episode. And of course, make sure to screenshot this episode on your phone and tag me and our guest today on your Instagram story at Jules Solomon and hashtag the Influencer Podcast to let me know that you are joining in today as you know that I love to share those screenshots over on my Instagram stories as well. Last week, we had the one and only Suzanne Hendricks give us a sneak peek into her life as one of the most recognized bloggers and YouTubers in the business and how her vulnerability has made her a global sensation. This week, one of the top managers in the game, people, one of the top in the influencer space, Miss Jennifer Powell, teaches us the techniques behind turning a blog into a seven-figure business. Now, I do have to give you a little disclaimer here. The sound quality of this episode does get a little fuzzy at times. As Jennifer is always on the go, we had to get this interview in where we could, which was in her car. (laughs) But I promise you the content quality is top notch. You will have so many takeaways with this episode. So I really do appreciate your understanding with the sound. Hello and welcome to today's episode. Our guest today is someone that you may not know by first name yet, but I know that you will know the names Sincerely Jules, Fashion Toast, and We Were What. And what do all these mega successful bloggers have in common? Well, they are all managed by our guest today. Jennifer Powell is the managing force behind some of the world's top social media influencers and bloggers. Jennifer first helped Next Models expand into online and social media talent 10 years ago after the blogger Rumi Neely of Fashion Toast approached the agency. And then Jennifer headed up a portfolio of around 30 influencers and special booking talent at Next Models, where she worked as an agent for over a decade. 
She there spearheaded the brand growth of popular sites like Fashion Toast, K-Tour, Sincerely Joel's, and We Were What, and also crossover model talent such as Langley, Fox Hemingway, Lucky Blue, and Piper America Smith until her departure from Next earlier this year. She started Jennifer Powell Inc. to do brand management and strategy for influencers and consulting for brands trying to enter the world of influencer marketing earlier this year, and she still handles Danielle of Reward What, Julie of Sincerely Jewels, and Rumi from Fashion Toast, in addition to a handful of new talent. The main way that Jennifer turns blogs into immediate profitable businesses is by orchestrating collaborations and endorsements with fashion and lifestyle brands, and ultimately looking at how to build the influencer's overall brand and create their ancillary businesses. So today we are going to get the inside scoop on how to make this happen for us as well. Now that you may have asked yourself before some of these questions, how do I get a manager? When is the right time to get a manager? What do I need to have in place to be manage? How much should I be charging? What's the difference between conversion versus awareness? And why does that even matter to me as an influencer? Does a following number matter? And if so, how? What are the protocols I need to have in place when doing a brand deal? And for the influencer without a manager, how do I effectively and proactively manage myself? Well, Jennifer will be answering all of this and more today. So hello, Jennifer. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I'm so thrilled that you are here. Oh, hi, Julie. I'm, I am too. Thanks for having me. Well, I think what what I kind of really see with you and what attributes so much to your success and to the success of all of your clients is really kind of your finesse and style as a manager and really the way that you manage them and kind of your your forethought and your foresight into where this industry is going. So you did mention briefly to me that it really is an overall management strategy that must be in place in order for that long-term growth. So if you could, in a in a short but sweet way, kind of walk us through what you mean by that, what this strategy is and how it is different than maybe more traditional forms of management. Well, this sort of talent, they're not just um, a talent, a musician, an actor or whatever. They are actually their very own, their very own brand. And they have their own, um, they, they all have individual goals that are very different from one another. A lot of the girls started as stylists and they want to continue down that path. Some of the girls want to venture into television. Some of them want to have their own, just their own businesses, fashion or, or otherwise. I think that the difference, the differentiator between this kind of talent and others it is that, is that the goals are completely different. So I have to look at every individual person as their own brand, as their own like individual talent, try to figure out where they're going and try to get them there. And usually when I'm kind of doing an overview of what they want, there is a couple of different things that we look at. We look at PR strategy, which is super important to the growth of a business and awareness. And we look at like the immediate um, kind of brands and, and that they want that the end designers, the talent wants to engage with. And then it's a term. like what is the big goal as far as the business goes and how we get them there. So kind of like three pillars, I guess, when I'm, I start working with somebody. And so it really is kind of thinking more long-term and then what are the short-term steps that we need to take to get there? Completely. Absolutely. Okay. So now I have some loaded questions for you. <laughs> as every manager loves. Um, and again, obviously you're just pulling from your own expertise here. I know that there probably really is no right answer. Um, but if there is some kind of 
baseline to pull from. How much should an influencer or a blogger be charging for a social media post? You know, that, that's a tough one, but what I, what I seem to, the way I kind of go about that is try to figure out the overhead that you're spending on the production time, hair and makeup, whatever you guys, whatever you do to put into creating content. And then I usually like either half that or double it. It just depends on what your numbers are and, um, what your engagement is. So, so I know that that's a little bit vague, but you want to make money on top of what the output is, right? So if we're doing that, then I usually half over it. Does that make sense, Julie? No, it does. It totally makes sense. Okay. And it's, it's a All good right. reminder that it's not just cost of production we're covering. We actually need to be able to, you know, put money back into the business, so to speak. A hundred percent. I think that a lot of um, people are kind of going like every 10,000, it's like a hundred dollars every 10. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's just like a baseline, but also big out what the value of your social media is, is super helpful when you join platforms like four card and, um, and some of the other platforms that bring, um, bring projects to the talent. So you could kind of play with the numbers and the things that you do get, end up getting engaged for the projects you get engaged for. And that kind of gives you an idea of where you're at as well. That's a, that's a great, just kind of quick tip to share. Cause a lot of people just get so confused with that. Um, so I appreciate that. And then another loaded question that everyone always asks, there's no right answer to, uh, <laughs> does a following number really matter? And if so, when, where, and how? I think it does. I think the initial, like when a brand is looking at you initially, or even me as a manager are looking at a talent initially, like there does have to be like a significant amount of followers there. I think that brands at this point are also more in tune with the fact that the engagement is likely more important than the actual number. Um, and so that's where I think that there's been a lot of growth in like the micro influencer sphere, because, um, a lot of micro influencers, people that have, you know, uh, perhaps 50 to 200,000 followers are, do have very engaged audiences. They're authentic and they're sometimes they're like city specific. So I think that the brands are more hip to engagement as our managers. I mean, that's important too, but I think the initial, the initial, like taking a look at somebody to consider them either for a job or for management, there does have to be something going on. You have to connect, be able to connect with an audience. And a lot of times that's where the initial number of followers come in. Gotcha. So it's really, I mean, there, there does need to be some kind of proof that there is a community built and there is going to actually be people there to influence, but there's all these other factors in place as well. That's right. That's right. My friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, 
you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale. This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business for sponsoring the show. So I want to talk about challenges for a minute. I know that you have said to me that one of your challenges as a manager has really been convincing brands that have been kind of putting money into more traditional forms of advertising, that they should move it into the digital and influencer space. So obviously it's an education and it's a process. I would love to know how you go about educating them or trying to educate them and how can bloggers and influencers really kind of empower themselves to educate these brands as well if they don't have a team or a manager that's able to do that for them? Well, for me, it's been a long, I mean, I've represented, I guess I started Rumi 10 years ago. So for me, it's been a long conversation um, with a lot of these brands. It's just a slow moving train. A lot of the people in the fashion industry don't want to hear about digital. They have been not excited about it. And there's a lot of traditionalists that still like are in that mindset, which is super frustrating. But I know that there people are understanding it more. So it's just been about talking to them because as a model agent previously, I was like, you could either use a model, which is fine. And they can shoot a campaign for you, or you can use this sort of talent. We can link out to pieces of, of your clothing and then you, and you could see how they sell. So they, there was a lot of like trial and taking a chance. And, um, you know, I half maybe gave them a half of the rate that would normally charge just to get there, you know, to dip their toes into the pool of using influencers, um, for their advertising. And I think also with, the fact that a lot of the print magazines are going away these days, people are looking at their strategy for advertising and saying, okay, we, we need to move it around. Um, so we need to move the money around. It, it needs to go somewhere where we can actually track the ROI. So go ahead. Yeah, I love I love what you said. I was just thinking about that, how you'll to kind of like um, attract them in, you'll say, look, why don't we kind of do this test run? I mean, you have to pay us something, but why That's don't right. we do it at this so we can kind of show you the conversion numbers or we can show you the amount of awareness that it pulls or we can show you how many you know, clicks or likes or the engagement, just, just to kind of make them, I guess, feel a little bit more comfortable with, with starting to kind of flirt with the idea. And then it also allows you to start really building that trust and that relationship, which I think is key. So that, that's, Yes, that's a great, that's, that's a really great idea. And it can also lead to something more long-term as well, because if they have great feedback, which you're kind of assessing that they will, because your influencers are so great at influencing, then they're going to want to come back. 
Correct. That's right. And it's worked, you know, and it doesn't, I mean, for most, most, I mean, most of them find that they get what they're looking for. And, um, you know, there's been campaigns, sometimes it might not be the right influencer put with the right brand. And that's, that's where I see things go off track. But if it's the right, you know, if it's fits with the brand of the influencer and the brand, it, if it's a great like, brand fit on both sides, then I don't think I've ever really not had success with a campaign. So there you go. I mean, it's it's part of kind of that that testing and and, and aligning with the brands that that make sense as well. Correct. So you're not setting yourself up for this just you know kind of managing expectations and something that that is going to be way off. And um, that kind of goes into my next to my next question because I wanted to talk to campaigns a little bit. Um, how do you manage the expectations? you know, if a brand isn't super familiar or if they're, if they're expecting some kind of conversion or some kind of number or something analytical that may not be, you know, that may not be necessarily feasible in this influencer space since so much of it has to do with, you know, awareness a lot of times. Well, I think that's my first, that's my first question to the brand. It's like, what is the priority here? Is it a priority of brand awareness? Are we looking strictly for conversion? Is this like, is this, um, you know, is this a holiday campaign? Is it a festival? You know, what, what are you trying to push here and what are our goals? And I have to be really honest with them too and say, you know, maybe this isn't the right girl or maybe this isn't like, let's try, like, I think that you should try using Instagram and maybe this platform more than it seems to me that might be more important than a blog or, you know, it's about, I think at this point, I'm just kind of guiding them through and trying to be really honest about what I seem work best and for what their goals are. Um, and it's not about, I think for me, it's not about upfront just making a ton of cash and walking away. It's really about fostering a relationship that's long-term. I don't want just one-offs at the end of the day. One-offs are a great place to start a relationship, like a one-off Instagram or one-off blog post or one-off whatever it may be. We want a long-term relationship that's really meaningful. And I think that's what the audiences are and are responding to. And that's what, how people buy usually it's, it's when it's authentic, you know? Yeah, that and that makes sense of of what you said too. With just you know starting that dialogue, asking yes. them those questions, there that way you can kind of manage the expectation a little bit better, and you know you're not going to have the issue of the campaign not working because directions weren't followed or uh, expectations were unaligned or the execution didn't happen in that way. That's um, right. So I love that. I think that that's great. Um, and that, that was something that we kind of touched on prior to this call that you had said, you know, most of the campaigns that haven't worked is going to be because of that disconnect with copy or imagery or timeline. So you're, okay. you make sure to try to be very careful with brands when they contract one of your talent because you want to make sure that they have that room to really create the content that's authentic to them. And um, I think a lot of times brands, depending on who it is and really depending on who the influencer is, they may or may not put self, set themselves up to get that opportunity. So um, I would love to know what are, what are your kind of protocols that must be in place to execute a successful campaign when it comes to that, to that space that you want to give your talent in order to really create that content? Is there, are there things that just say, you know, if, 
if you're going to kind of pigeonhole us in, in these parameters, then we can't move forward. Well, I, I always ask, like, I always ask for a mood board, art direction, copy suggestions, like all of all of those things to figure out like what is important to them in the creative process. I think that I've been involved with some campaigns and they say, this is exactly the way we need this Photoshop. And it's like a bottle of lotion in a bath, like in a shower. And it's like that exact photo. And I'm like, guys, if you're creating this content, then you don't need an influencer to create it. You know exactly what you want. But if you're looking for these people that like that, um, that have an audience that responds favorably towards their creative, then like, let them be creative. So I think that there's been that sort of conversation. It seems like it's happening less and less where the, the brands are completely micromanaging what a, what a photo should look like, what a video should look like. Um, a lot of them do still like to do approvals of photos. And for the longest time, I wasn't doing that because I found that they were like, let's reshoot this because this hair is out of place. And I'm like, no, we can't reshoot something because the hair is out of place. We could reshoot something if like you can't see a label and that's important or we can't, you know what I mean? Like right. those sorts of things that are important or, and I find that the copy is so important to get right, to get the spelling of the ha- hashtag and the handle, like we got to get that right. And those sorts of things, um, have to be right. But also the brand has to allow for you to take that copy and the messaging and make it your own too. So there has to be give on both sides. It's hard for the brands that have traditionally like been in control of all of this to be able to give up control. So there's been, it's, it's a, that is a slow process too of trust, but the longer that you work with a brand, the more that they trust your execution and the less restrictive it is and the more creative it gets to be is what I found. Yeah. And I've also found too, just through experience that the more micromanaging a brand is about like, this is exactly how the shot needs to look in the shower and the hair needs to be this way. And there needs to be water dripping down on the skin. And it's like, it gets so micromanaging that then I feel like things start to hiccup because it's like, everything is so, you know, uh, kind of, they're kind of like helicoptering in on exactly how you're supposed to do it. And you really have no room for that space the error just kind of tends to naturally pop up. So I like to hear that, you know, you're kind of encouraging, you do it and you're really encouraging the listeners here today to at least be open to having that conversation to say, look, I know that I need to get these hashtags, right? I know that I, there's certain messaging that we need to do. I know that, you know, the product needs to be shot in a certain way. It can't obviously be flipped upside down or, you know, said in a different way. I know that obviously needs to get posted on X date, but maybe I can have a little bit of room in how the creative context is going to go. Completely. And not to be afraid to have that conversation. And as a matter of fact, what I found is that the brands love to have that conversation and hear your creative ideas too. It's, it's, it's helpful to hear what they have to say and say, Hey, have you thought this, this, or this, these are my ideas. And what I found is that they are like, Oh yeah, that's amazing. And, and they, they like you getting inspired by whatever they're selling too. So I think that not being fearful of saying, Hey, this doesn't really work for me, but maybe this can work for me. And it seems like it might be on brand for you too. So let's see if this works. 
um, yeah, to just have that conversation and see what happens. The only, I mean, the worst thing that happened is it's say, no, we won't, this is what our vision is. And this is what we want you to do. So have that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that too, for any of the brands listening that, if you have a pool of, you know, I don't know, five, 10 influencers kind of promoting something on the same day, if every photo and every Instagram story looks the exact same, the the, the consumer is going to see right through that. So oh, I don't really sure. know how much that's benefiting the brand by having it so micromanaged either. Right. So that's just I something to think about. Yeah. And I, but in the incarnation of social, like of influencer marketing, I feel like people have tried all sorts of things. So that is true. But I agree. <laughs> so, and I know you, you touched on this a little bit earlier when you were talking about conversion versus awareness, but could you give us kind of what your, what the difference between those two things are and, and, and why that really matters in the full scope of, you know, working with brands? For sure. Brand awareness is generally when you post something and then you, and then you tag the brand and then it sends back followers to their platforms, whatever platforms it might be. And it grows their followers. Really, it's just bringing awareness to who this brand is and letting people discover the brand, the designer, whoever it is, and kind of learn who the, what the culture of the brand and to be exposed to that. And hopefully you'll become a fan, you'll start to follow, and they'll get followers and voila, brand, there are new people aware of the brand. Um, and then conversion is strictly sales. And there, I think that the most magical um partnership is when somebody can end up being both, but that doesn't necessarily happen organically. And really, if I could figure out like the secret sauce to that, I would be more successful than I even am right now. I think that it's, it, both are important and both are important to brands at different times of their, um, of their, uh, their own development. I mean, I, we, there's a brand called Cezanne that's awesome and they're French and they're, they're wanting to build brand awareness in the United States. And so, They've contracted Jules from Sincerely Jules to, to be the vehicle to drive brand awareness. And that's really the priority for them for, you know, this next year of theirs. Um, so that's that. And that was a conversation I had at the beginning of time when they were trying to figure out what they were going to do. It's like, what are we trying to get to? What is our goal with this campaign? So I think both are important. They're just both at, important at different periods of time to different brands. That totally makes sense. And I think that it's important to kind of be able to, to recognize those two. Um, I want to talk about an influencer bubble. If there is one, do you think that we are in this bubble, so to speak of saturation or of, you know, whatever it's called, I call it an influencer bubble. If we are, do you think it's going to pop? And if so, what, what will that mean for this industry? Well, I was told that this influencer bubble was going to pop eight years ago and not to get my hopes up and put like hang all my hopes on it. So I feel like I've been waiting for it to pop for a while, but it just becomes more and more powerful. And I, you know, I have a a 10 year old son and when he is on and his celebrities are YouTubers, his celebrities are kids that are on musically on that platform. Mm -hmm. So I feel that as long as the kids coming up, the Gen Z kids and the kids after that, come up and these are who their celebrities are and these are the people they're looking to. Um, I don't think influencers are going anywhere. 
And especially with like the disappearance of print magazines, this is the way that we're marketing and advertising these days. So I think that it's going to continue going like this. It is saturated. I mean, that's something that is, um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I also know that there's new platforms, like I said, musically and different things that are coming up that are, um, that are really resonating with the next generation that are going to be good vehicles for the next round of advertising and, um, and the next round of digital advertising. So I think that there's also always room for people that are different and it's about influencers finding what a dig- differentiator is. None of us are the same. We're all different people and there's things that separate us and make us different. And it's about finding that. And then I think finding your niche in this world and the world of social media by playing into your differentiator and figuring out what you have to offer that might be a little different than what you already see out there and not to be too influenced by people's feeds that you love, you know? Right. Well, and I think too, when it comes to saturation, it's kind of like, well, what major industry isn't saturated? I mean, the film industry is saturated. The publishing industry is saturated. Um, I mean, look how many actors are in LA. Look how many, you know, songwriters are in Nashville. Um, Models are in New York. I mean, every industry is completely saturated. Right. And they've all been around and been able to innovate and sustain. So I I would agree with you on 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 the bubble for sure. Um, I wanted to walk through some quick key items when it comes to management. Um, What does an influencer need to have in place in their career to start considering management support? You know, when is the right time to really look to have a manager bring you on? Um, that's an interesting question. I think that I always say to the girls, like, you don't need me until you, or you don't need me until you need me every single day. You are calling me more than you call your mother. Once it gets too big and there's balls being dropped and things like that, it might be a good time to look into having a manager. That being said, you have to be ready to give up a little bit of control because there's no doubt that when you put your career in the hands of a manager, like there is a little bit of control that goes away that you have immediately that becomes a very safe place for an influencer because up until the point, they have all the control. So you have to really trust that the person that you're bringing on is the right person, not to get too anxious about getting it too early either. Um, and I think that, um, yeah, you just have to be at a place where it's totally unmanageable. And you have to sit down or see the kind of people that you really love and admire and maybe go and first start taking meetings with their manager. Like, reach out. I really love what you're doing with so-and-so. Like, would you be open to taking a meeting with me? And maybe if you're not, if in their mind you're not ready for them to manage you yet, maybe they're going to follow you. They're going to follow you for a while until they think that maybe you are ready. Um, and I also think there's a lot of managers at this point that are realizing the value of bringing people on when they're kind of like mid range or maybe on the smaller side so they could grow with you. So there might be people that reach out to you as well. So do your research, make sure you end up in the hands of somebody that's reputable and that you really feel is going to be a champion for you and your work. And not just fall, like, you don't just don't want to fall through the cracks. You want to be a priority, especially the fact that 
you as an influence are your own brand and you need individual attention. You really do. That's a great takeaway. Um, and a great just educational tip for those who get confused by that. Um, I think another thing that people get confused on, um, are kind of the placements of who people are in this space. So obviously a lawyer is going to handle anything legal contracts, that sort of thing. A publicist handles media, an agent and a manager. What is the difference between those two? Because I feel like those two out of, out of everyone seems to be extremely confusing for influencers and bloggers. Well, it is, especially in this space. So an agent is able to procure work. A manager isn't necessarily supposed to legally be able to do that. A manager looks at the entirety of the career and guides and is kind of the gatekeeper for the jobs that the agent brings in. And um, and that's kind of, they're kind of the boss. And so it's, for me, it's a little tricky with influencers with, agents and managers, because I do think that there's gray areas between them that get, um, that get, it it gets a little gray, but I think that you just have to make sure that your agent understands this space. A lot of like traditional agents don't necessarily completely understand the space or the space of fashion, specifically fashion bloggers, the fashion influencers. So you just have to be really careful about who you bring onto your team and what the role is of everybody. And that everybody plays well together. They all need to get along. If one doesn't like the other, it's going to be a disaster. Mm. And so you have to make sure that your team really gels well and is supportive of one another and encourages you to do things that the other is suggesting that they do because that's their, you know, that's their expertise. Right, right, right. That's that's great feedback as well. Um, If I was someone who was, was at a meeting with a manager for the first time that was going to potentially take me on as a blogger or as, a, as an influencer, what questions should I be asking that manager? I would ask, um, I, well, I would ask percentages, how much money that they're going to take, um, how long the contract is, if you're the one that gets to sign the contracts or if they're signing on your behalf. Um, you want to be able to see the contracts that you're signing off on with the scope of work and make sure that you're the one that is, um, even if they have the power to sign off on a contract for you, that you're the one that's okaying the final scope of work and the pay. Um, what else you wanted them to know what your goal is, like who the brands are that you want to engage with and like ultimately what the goal is and how you guys could get there together. So have to understand who your brand is. And like when I sit down with a new talent, I, I always ask them, make a list of your goal brands because I also need to know what I'm going to be responsible for and how I'm supposed to perform for this person. Now, if I look at the talent and I look at their feed and then I look at their gold brands and I'm like, but these gold brands are all luxury and you're doing a lot of like commercial and mass brands on your feed. Have you thought about maybe adding some of that, you know, mass brands into your goals and let's see how we can work together because it's, it's hard to convert an audience that's more commercial understand or actually be able to purchase something that's like luxury product. So on my side, that's the kind of, those are the things that I want to know. Like, do I think that I could get you to your goals as well? Right, 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 right. Because you need to make sure that you're aligned, you know, you're lining up on both ends of that. 
Is there an industry standard on commission on what they're going to take? Well, in my experience, it's pretty much 20% um, of, for influencers. It, that's what I've seen. That's Well, I did kind of make this up as I went when I started <laughs> Ten years ago, it was really I was billing like a model agent, and model agencies take twenty percent in the United States. So that's how it kind of started, and so that's what I know, and that's what I think feels right, especially if somebody doesn't have an agent. I mean, it's it's a little tricky once there's more people that are involved, an attorney, a business manager, all of those things, because everybody gets a piece of the pie. So it's a good place to start with a new talent is feeling you feel good about 20%. And also like as time goes on, have a conversation. Hey, I've, you know, I think that I'd really like to start paying 15% and this is why I'm adding an attorney onto the team. I have to pay him 5%. Like what, what can we do here? And sometimes your agent or, well, or your manager will say no. And sometimes they'll say yes. And you know, it's a conversation. It's always a conversation. That's a good takeaway. And thanks for that, um, for that kind of standard idea and, and really kind of giving us some background into that. Cause I think that that's a big question that people always ask. Um, if, if I didn't have a manager in place, cause there's a, a lot of people that are listening that don't, what are some key elements that that blogger, that influencer would need to start doing kind of short term and long term to make sure that they're not only growing and being successful, but most importantly, that they're protected within deals that they may be doing for themselves? Well, I really think that everybody probably needs another set of eyes, an attorney, a friend that understands law, like something, another set of eyes on contracts. I have seen a lot of contracts where things are put in like exclusivity, words like perpetuity, things like um, all media now and hereafter created, like things like that that are like red flags to me that I always just cross out because I know that those things should be crossed out um, dependent on what the job is. But I think that everybody needs support um, to look at contracts, like things, you should not be signing off on anything in perpetuity because when you do, that means your image, they could take your photo and use it forever. And if you're doing something like in a skincare realm or cosmetics or hair that could end up having you lose a job in the future, it could end up being a conflict for a bigger job or big campaign or ambassadorship in the future. Um, so I think that that's the thing that is the most important for me for like young influencers to really hone in on is the language that are in your contracts. Read the contracts, know what they say. If you don't understand it, find somebody that can help you understand, Google it, whatever you have to do to figure out and know exactly what you're signing off on, how long a usage is on a campaign. Like if they can run your imagery on their website for how long? Like, are there conflict brands that you're not able to work for Why this campaign is going? You need to know all of those things and be well aware of, of where your image is going to be because that's your currency in a lot of ways, your social media channels and your image. That's what, that's what is, is your currency. Absolutely. And I've even seen sometimes, and you know, they'll try to even put in here that, you know, they can repurpose the, the image for their social media, obviously, but then they'll say things like for ad spots for billboards for all of this other stuff and you know if they're going to be using your name and likeness on a billboard you should probably be compensated for that 
Um, so yeah, you do, you have to really pay attention to the fine line and the fine print. And, and I think having an extra set of eyes is a great, is a great tip. So thinking onward into 2018, what do you think that we as a, as, as influencers listening today need to start preparing for now in order to continue to grow 12 months from now, 18 months from now? Is there a specific trend that you see coming up or is there something that we should probably start really honing in on now so we can kind of stay ahead of the curve in the future? Hmm. Well, I think that, I mean, the trend that I do see is just more money being put into influencer and digital advertising. Like that really is. So I think that there's much more opportunity that's actually going to be opened up to for everybody in the future. And I think it's with lifestyle brands, fitness. I think it's with, you know, across all categories, um, of businesses. And I think that like, I know this is a little bit of a different answer than probably where you were going, but I think a good, uh, like what I encourage the girls to, or the girls that I have to do is to really say, who are the brands that are, that I'm hoping to work with in the next 12, 18 months, and then start, engaging with them on social, just start wearing it and tagging it. And at the end of the day, like, I feel like you're just setting a foundation for hopefully a relationship that's going to happen in the future. Um, so to try to be proactive that way in the relationship and then either direct messaging, if you don't have an agent or have your agent reach out to that client and say, Hey, she really loves your brand. Maybe we could talk about something for 2018 to work together on a paid basis or, you know, on a, on a basis where this person would create content, you put it on your channels and tag us. So we could grow too. the influencer could grow. It's of somebody that doesn't have numbers that's making money yet. So I know that's a little bit of a different answer, but that's what I would start doing now for 2018 in order to have a successful year. I love, I think that that's a fantastic answer and such a great takeaway for, for all of us. So thank you so much for that. Um, before we wrap up, I want to ask you a question that I ask everyone that comes on the show, and that is, what does influence mean to you? Hmm. Influence means somebody that makes me feel something. I think that it could be, a, I mean, it could be something that, yes, social media for sure, but you're influenced by your friends, your family, your children, a beautiful flower, like really things can Things are, that can be influenced and influence you daily. And so I think it's just something that makes you feel something or feel an affinity to something or inspire you in some way. Not always positive, sometimes negative, but um, that's what I think it is. I love that. Well, thank you so much. And if you are listening today and want to dive deeper into this conversation, I would love for you to check out the show notes of this episode where I lay out some of the most important takeaways from this conversation with Jennifer. You can find those show notes over at theinfluencerpodcast.com. Jennifer, thank you again so much for showing up today and sharing all of your wisdom and just everything that you do for this industry. If we only had more people like you out there to manage this amazing space and all of the people in it, I think that we would be way better off. So just thank you so much. Thanks, Julie. That's so sweet. Thank you for having me. Are you ready to create your own industry leading influence? For show notes, downloads and action based tips, head to www.theinfluencerpodcast.com where you can find out more about this week's episode guest and our host, Julie Solomon. 
If you enjoyed this week's episode, please take a minute to go to iTunes and leave a review so we can help other influencers like yourself build their own successful business.